And what's good, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields. Got a good episode for you this week. Give you my thoughts on episodes uh, three and four of the ESPN 10 part documentary series documenting the 1997-1998 Chicago Bulls The Last Dance give you my thoughts on that and we got uh and we got some good guests for you today um Josh Knapp um good friend of mine football teammate uh over this past fall and also a member of the millions of the infamous class of 2020 that will not have a regular uh ending to us to their senior year he and his older brother Brandon Knapp, who is a, a soccer player up at uh, St. John's for the uh, Red, who plays up at St. John's in New York, both of them will join me uh, later on in the program. But first things first, uh, let's give you my thoughts on the last dance. First off, I said that uh, that uh, Daryl Bevel was the Seattle Seahawks uh, offensive coordinator with Jacob in the uh, when I was reciting the uh, Seahawks Cowboys playoff game a few years ago. I got that wrong. It's Brian Schottenheimer, not a uh, Daryl Bevel. So my apologies on that. But first, let's jump into the Last Dance episodes three and four. Um, we'll okay, kind of just go in order here. Uh, you could see how Jordan had such a strong relationship with his uh, first coach, Doug Collins, and how, you know, both of them were, you know, they were joined at the hip. You know, Doug Collins was, A, he sweated profusely, so, I mean, he worked as hard as anyone. His shirt was, you know, drenched by halftime, but, um, you know, and you saw that Collins, or not Collins, but Jordan said, relax, I'm not going to let you lose your first game in New York and Jordan basically played his hind parts off to make sure that uh, Doug Collins won the game but both of them were joined at the hip and you know get the documentary it's just I'm recording outside so if you wonder why you hear that bird noise that's what that is we say we're recording on the patio so we kick off uh, May 2020 and new month of the new episode of the TIS podcast, so I'm out on a patio, and there's birds making noise right now, so it's very annoying, but that's not the here nor there. Um, getting back uh, to Jordan, so he and Collins was uh, joined at the hip um, back in the uh, mid-late 80s, and of course they took each other uh, to the, uh, you know, and the lead to the shot against Cleveland, um, where where you saw that uh, Harper was very was very uh, annoyed that um he that he wasn't able to uh, that he didn't cover Jordan on that play when uh, Michael Jordan made the uh, made the shot that buzzer beater in 1989 in the first round of the Eastern Conference on May the seventh, which is you know it, depending on what day you're listening to this could be you know that day right now I'm recording this it's May the third so. You know, 31 years. You know, 31 years on Friday, I believe, will be the anniversary of that shot where Jordan made the buzz beater to give the Bulls a 101-100 uh, victory. And uh, and you saw that Ron Harper was all annoyed and bent out of shape when he wasn't. You know, when the coach basically and their coach at the time basically didn't uh, put Harper on Jordan to to cover Jordan for that play, which you know is 
a little dubious because Jordan, because if you look back at the play, Jordan, it took, first of all, it took forever for the uh, Bulls to inbound the basketball. And once they did inbound the, inbound the basketball, Jordan was tightly covered and basically, and basically went, I think he went, um, if I'm not mistaken, he went left to right rather than right to left, which, which for a left-handed shooter is a difficult shot to make. Going, going left to right, left to right, if I'm not mistaken, which is a difficult shot to make if you're a right-handed shooter like Jordan was, and he and he shoots it in, and he shoots it in the air, going left to right, perfectly defended, and the ball just goes right, <laughs> goes right over him, and he sinks the basket, and Jordan, you know, is like, yeah, and he's cursing all the guys that picked him out of breath because the Bulls got swept in the season series by the Cavs and there was the three uh and there was the three um uh the three basketball riders there that were like Bulls, you know, Cavs and this, Cavs and this, Cavs and that and then Jordan, you know, he you hear him, he comes up before the game he's like, I took care of you, I took care of you last night, tonight I'm gonna take care of you, which he pointed to uh to Sam Smith with the we're gonna take care of you tonight um thing. So you had the shot um, went a little bit in depth with the shot, which of course me being a youngin, I've you know this is way before my time, so I get a little information on um on the uh, in depth analysis of the shot. I got a little bit of it, you know, with the Believe Land documentary that came out a few years ago, but that was more of the Cleveland perspective, and also you know it touched so many heartbreaking moments for Cleveland sports that he, you know he didn't have a whole lot of time to go in depth went in depth last week with the shot and then after they you know they beat the they beat the Cavs then we go to the Jordan rules which um which is ironic that uh, you know which is ironic that this uh that this happens because about what about maybe three four episodes ago I told uh, you know I gave my little uh, review of uh of the Bad Boy Pistons 30 for 30 documentary in which they had those Jordan rules that basically stopped Michael Jordan in the late 80s, you know, to basically, you know, you heard it, if he got up to the baseline, if he, don't let Jordan in the paint, whatever you do, you know, lamb beer, throw elbows, put a body on him, put a shoulder on him, do whatever you got to do when Jordan enters this paint, punish him and put him on it and put him on his back. And those are, you know, those are the Jordan rules with Detroit. Basically, don't let Michael Jordan beat you. And for and for you know for quite a you know for a few years, Chicago had no answer to Detroit, as Detroit you know beat the Bulls and ended up making it uh, making it to three straight NBA Finals in eight in uh, what was it uh, 88, 89, and ninety. And they and they won back to back in in uh, eighty nine and ninety, but you know they had to, they had to have those Jordan rules to stop Jordan because he was such a dynamic, a dynamic athletic uh, specimen of a, of a basketball player at that time. The Pistons with their bad boy image were like, hey, this guy comes in the paint, we're gonna put a body on him and send him down and send him down to the hardwood, and uh, and you know Jordan. You know, had to essentially bulk up to uh, to, uh, and that's why you see like the the difference. You know, Jordan, Jordan circa 1990, 1988 versus Jordan what he looked like in nineteen ninety one, and how he basically had to put on all that muscle 
him and his personal trainer and the people with the Bulls basically worked together to because Jordan literally purposely had to build his body and train to beat the Pistons because they were that good of a team and that much of a thorn in the Bulls side that they bait that Jordan and his teammates had to you know had to build themselves and train to beat to beat the Pistons which is which is pretty which is pretty crazy when you think about it um and then you go and then you go into the bad boys you know with the you know the Bulls, they put on all that weight. They, you know, they defeat the Jordan rules. Jordan's all booked up, so he's able to take the hard-hitting punishment that he got inside the paint with Lambeer and with Lambeer and all those and all those cats. Um, so you know, they win in '91, and then you know, Lambeer was like, "Hey, you know, Isaiah, everybody else, get up and we're <coughs> excuse me, get up. We're just gonna walk off the bench, not even gonna shake their hands." Which to me, if I was, you know, if podcasts were a thing back in 1991, or if I was an adult who had a radio show or a TV show, you would have heard me, or if Twitter was a thing, you would have either saw slash heard me scream and yell about the complete utter joke that it was that the Detroit Pistons sent up there. Okay, so let me get this straight. All right, so you beat them. All right, you beat them. The team, all right, you, you're that much of a thorn in their side. Literally, their mission all summer and throughout the offseason is to put on extra weight and to put on and, and put on extra muscle to take the punishment that you all dish out to stop Jordan and the Bulls. So they find okay, so they find the method to your madness. They find they find a quote unquote secret formula to beat to finally beating you guys in 1991. And you all, Lambeer and Lambeer and Isaiah, especially Lambeer's one that, that, you know, it was his idea. And Isaiah, like a freaking punk jerk, instead, you know, I, Lambeer at least, had, at least had the DC and had the balls to walk off the court, you know, with his head held high. Like, yeah, that's right. I'm walking off the, I'm walking off the court. What y'all going to do about it? And Lambeer then and now is not the most likable person in the NBA past and present by any stretch of the imagination but I give him respect he at least had a decency to walk off the court with his head held high Isaiah meantime I got Isaiah basically tucking his head and walking you know walking shrewd with you know walking like a little shrewd cat with with his head down like he doesn't want to be seen really I got Isaiah I got Isaiah Thomas after they got their butts whooped in the series by the great he wasn't the greatest player of all time, of course, but I got Isaiah walking with his head down, you know, basically trying to hide the fact that he's being disrespectful to the game and disrespectful for the to the Bulls by walking up before the clock expires without shaking their hands. And I got Isaiah basically walking around tucked with his head down like oh, I don't wanna be seen. Really? That that that's a joke and that is tough to take. I tell you, if I was on, if there was some media platform back in the 1990s, I would have had my hands on you. Would have, and I was alive back then. You would have heard from me. That's an absolute disgrace. And that picture when the when the camera is literally like right behind Isaiah Thomas, he basically puts his shoulders up and like ducks his head and like tries to hide his head, like you know, looking at me. That oh, that bothers me. I wasn't even alive for that, and and when I watched that tape, it it, it it irks me because you don't do that. Show some class and show some respect, like Jordan said when he beat him every, you know, when they beat him all, you know, uh, you know what, two two three straight years in a row. Jordan, 
you know, had 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 the courage, had the respect, and had the honor, you know what? Shake their hand, you know? They beat me. Best team won. Congratulations. All right, go enjoy, you know, go enjoy, uh, you know, playing in the finals. You know, but that, that but that's the respect and the decorum that you have for the game. All right, you, all right, you don't like them. Big deal. Big whoop. I mean, like I said, last time I checked, you you all won with the cha- with the championships. They at the time did not have any. And Lambeer, you too. Shake the hands. That's a joke. Anyway, something here nor there. Um, and then uh, in in Isaiah, basically, you know, thirty years after the fact, and after you know the court of public opinion has essentially banished him from like the from like the uh, you know. From pop, you know, from uh, popularity, he's like, well, is it? And then you heard Michael Jordan; he wasn't buying it, and he had every right to, because, you know, after the court of public opinion, thirty years, and you've heard everyone in the court of public opinion basically bash you for it then and now. It, well, it's easy to sit up there in a documentary, you know, where you have time to basically orchestrate your thoughts and orchestrate what you're going to say because you know that they're going to ask you about it if they interviewed you to be a part of the 10-part documentary series. So I don't blame Michael Jordan one bit for calling it BS and not buying it. I ain't, I ain't buying it either, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, my brother's in here in the, in the, uh, in the background. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. Jordan shouldn't, you shouldn't, Bulls fans shouldn't. If you were alive during that time, you should. Who, who's buying that? I'm not buying it. So, but you gotta look at Phil Jackson, you know, who's you know found acid and and PCP and all the drugs and the and the Indian and the uh, old Indian tribe and uh, Buddhist techniques to, you know, the Zen to basically calm himself and to basically calm the team down and all that sort of stuff, which, you know, was interesting. I'm not that, you know, interested in Phil Jackson's triangle offense, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, let's see, what else? Um, Rodman had, Rodman's, of course, I talked about this with the bad boys, his great relationship with uh, Chuck Daly, who was a hell of a coach, and I didn't know that Rodman basically threatened to commit suicide after the the, uh, the 1990 champion, and you know bounced around with with uh, Madonna for a few years. Who essentially now this may not be the case. Those of you who lived during that time would probably know better than I would, but the perception I got from the documentary that it was basically Madonna's fault for basically why Dennis Rodman is Dennis Rodman, why he colored his hair 72 different colors. The nose piercings and basically the eccentric personality was because Madonna told him, among other things, they're not going to like you for this and that. The other, you might as well just let your guard down and basically express yourself and be you. So, uh, let's see, anything else? I didn't know Rodman's mother kicked him out the house, uh, you know, early in his life. Would you know, had me feeling bad for Rodman because, you know, he didn't want to work. You know, he basically didn't just have to drive the work, so his mother was like, all right, screw you, and go out in the streets and survive by yourself, which is no way any child should live under any uh, circumstances. Phil Jackson, you know, was crazy, but that's why him and Rodman, you know, clicked, you know, as, as coach and player because, uh, you know, because Jackson understood Rodman because Jackson wasn't the typical NBA player back when he played in the 70s himself. So, which is why he, uh, you know, why he 
why he had a solid relationship with Rodman and why he ended up giving him that that quote-unquote 48-hour vacation where Rodman's like, you know what, I got to go to Vegas. He stays away for 80, 86, 80, 80-something hours, I believe it was 86 hours. You know, with Michael Jordan basically banging on the hotel, basically banging on the hotel door, barging in and basically grabbing Rodman by by his nose ring and dragging his hind paws to practice with with uh, with a with a naked Carmen Electra sitting behind the couch with a uh, with with a bedsheet over because you didn't want you know Michael Jordan you know to, to see her in the nude. You know, and this is Carmen Electra, circa late late 90s, who was a absolute. Gorgeous woman back in her day. Don't believe me? Go watch the movie Good Burger. You'll you'll thank me later. But um, and that wasn't even one of like one of the movies she's known for. But still, I mean, age age has not been her friend uh, so far. Forty eight years old, going on sixty eight. But when she had her day, oh my God, she was a gorgeous woman. Anyway, that's not a here nor there. But you had but you had Rodman basically with the forty eight hour Vegas rendezvous, having Jordan basically. You know, dragging him out the hotel bed because then because he didn't come back on time, and then they do an Indian run drill. You know, those of you who've run track or run cross country, you've done this, where the guy basically in the front has to catch up to the guy. The guy in the back has to catch up to the guy in the front at whatever pace the line is going. And Rodman is basically just tap taps right back in, and he's already and he's already. Um, in uh, in tip top shaping condition, and then you hear the. So let me give, let me give you a uh, couple tidbits here, you know, in case you can't. This was in the L.A. Times, um, about uh, Dennis and uh, Carmen Electra. Okay, quote: One day when the Bulls had an off day from practicing, Dennis said he had a surprise for me. Electra said, "He blindfolded me and we get on his motorcycle." When when he finally takes my blindfold off, he's standing at the Bulls practice facility center court. It was crazy, like two kids in a candy store eating popsicles from the fridge and pretty much having sex all over the damn place. In the physical therapy room, in the weight room, and obviously on the court. It's Dennis Rodman for you, ladies and gentlemen. A guy that basically went taking kamikaze shots at the bar, bouncing around strip clubs, and having, uh, and basically having intercourse at uh, Michael Jordan's place of business. Lord have mercy. Take a break. Josh Knapp and his brother are standing by. We'll be back with the Amatelica TIS podcast right after this. Welcome back to Metallica TIS podcast. Joining me now for the first time, first time I've ever done this, have uh, two guests on at one time. I got an uh, old football teammate of mine, classmate of mine at Archbishop Curley High School, uh, future VMI safety, and a uh, soccer player up at St. John's up in New York. I got the Knapp brothers, Josh and Brandon Knapp. How are you boys? Y'all doing all right? Y'all maintaining? Yeah, we're doing good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, doing good. well. Good. So, uh, so let's start things out for you both. I'll do, uh, Brandon, cause, uh, let me get to know you a little bit. I'll do you first and then get Josh's thoughts on this. Sure. Give me your thoughts on, uh, the coronavirus and how it's like affected you as a, as a college student, as a collegiate athlete, especially playing a division one sports. Give me your thoughts on the virus 
and how it's like affected you and your life individually. Yeah, definitely. Um, I just think it's a crazy thing going on in the world. Um, everyone kind of in the same boat dealing with uh, all different kind of things. Um, I mean, regarding college, it's kind of been difficult going to all, all online classes and then kind of having to do my own little workouts and fitness routines uh, at home, you know, not, not with the team during the spring season. So that's kind of been tough, but uh, we're just trying to maintain everything, trying to keep working hard, finish out the semester well. But, I mean, it's just crazy the way things have played out. Right, right. Now, do you – now, I know how me and Josh feel about this, but uh, how, do you prefer the online schooling or would you rather be up at New York uh, taking care of your schoolwork business? Yeah, online, online hasn't been that bad for me so far, but I think I'd rather be at school. Just the environment of college is a lot better. You know, being with my right. friend, friends every day, um, meeting new people every day, going to classes, it's kind of it's fun, you know. Right. Gotcha. Jo- Josh, what about you? Uh, you know, it's, it's just crazy overall. You know, I never really imagined something like this would actually happen. Um, it's just it's hard missing end of our senior year. Um, I missed right. my last lacrosse season ever probably. Um, but, I mean, yes. a good thing about it, I've been able to work out a lot. You know, me and Brandon have been working out together every day. So, um, yeah, but other than that, it's it's, right. it's tough. Yeah, no, stinks. It's terrible. Now, Brandon, are you a football fan or no? Yeah, I'm a big football fan. I'm just a big sports fan in general. Love all the sports. Oh, cool, cool. So, uh, give me your give me your thoughts, Ravens fan. I'm assuming, correct? Yeah, big Ravens fan. Yeah, so give me your thoughts on uh, what your Ravens did in this past NFL draft. Yeah, I think the Ravens had a great draft. Um, addressed all the needs. that we needed got a big big first round pick i think he's going to come in and make a big impact right away and patrick queen um great Mm -hmm. player and then you know a couple other guys would probably make impacts right away and another linebacker um you know a good tackle a good guard so i think we think we did well coming out of the draft good cool now do you do you did you like the idea of the virtual draft like so in the future would you be okay if the NFL now, God forbid, if there's like no viruses in the future, but would you be cool with the idea of having another virtual draft? Do you prefer the actual like big time event at like a host city and all that other sorts of stuff? Yeah, I think, I think I still would prefer the, the big time event, but I think the NFL did a great job with the virtual draft. It was still pretty cool. Um, they did a great job with it. You know, they, they showed each general manager and coach like every pick, which was pretty cool inside their homes where they were, uh, doing the draft, but I still would say the, the in-person event would be cooler, especially for the players, better experience for them. But I think they did a great right. job with it. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh, what about you? Give me your thoughts on what the Ravens did in the draft. Uh, you know, like Brandon said, they had a great draft. Um, the first pick, Patrick Queen, he's, he's a great player. I mean, he fits the Ravens' defense perfectly. Uh, he plays tough, fast, physical. Um, and then the other pick, J.K. Dobbins, you know, um, I like that. I think it's I think it's awesome, you know, to have, like someone said, I saw the other day, he said, we now have four running backs. They all do four different things. Uh, they'll be ready for four <laughs> quarters. So, I mean, I don't know if they're 100% going right. to keep all four, but, if, I mean, I guess they're thinking about that obviously now. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Do you did you did you uh A did you like the virtual draft? And the same question. Would you be okay if they did it again or do you prefer the uh, actual big event? Um I'd prefer the the big event. I mean if it came down to it and they had to do it again like that, which I hope they don't have to, but if they did, I mean they did a great job with everything. Um, you know, being able to like highlight every player and all and talk about them, but I prefer the, the big event. Mm-hmm. Um, Brandon, back to you. Uh, so have you got, have you two been into and have watched a bit of the uh, last dance documentary with Jordan? Yeah, we've been watching every week. Excited for tonight. Yeah. Give me, give me a thought. Give me your thoughts on that. What, what episode, what episode have you liked so far? What, you know, what little element did you, have you learned about, uh, about Jordan and his teammates and the environment of the Bulls? Give, Give us a little, uh, bit on that. Yeah, I've liked it all so far. Um, I really like the Rod- Dennis Rodman episode, but I think one of the main things that you can take out of this with Michael Jordan is just his competitive nature and how how competitive he was, always wanted to be first, you know, being the guy, uh, working hard every every game, every practice, um, and, you know, leading his team. So making the guys around him better. So I, I think that's that's a big thing you can get out of it, but I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, Josh, what about you? Uh, you know, it was awesome. It's, it's, I look forward to watching it every week. Um, I like the, the past week, uh, last week, I liked that one a lot. Just, you got to see like the what? physicality of how basketball used to be. And now, yeah. you know, it's, it's so much different now, you know, you get, there's one little hip check and they're calling a, a foul, but. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Now, now, you, now, I take it both of you all liked last week because of the Rodman scenario with the uh, 1990s Carmen Electra. Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> <That's funny>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah man. Good, 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 good man. I tell, age, age, age hasn't been, like I said last segment, age has not been kind to her. But uh, back in those days, Lord have mercy. <laughs> um, so, so I switch gears on to that. Um, Brandon, back to you first. Um, so where, so you're a soccer player up at, uh, up in New York for St. John's. Um, where did you get your love of sports from? Uh, my love of sports just came from when I, at a young age, I kind of played all different sports. My parents let me play. I played soccer, basketball, lacrosse, baseball, kind of see which one I liked best, um, growing up, but I kind of just went to soccer and basketball, um, towards like middle into middle school and high school that's where I played at Curly soccer and basketball um but just um started out just playing rec ball you know my dad coached me about five and six seven years old uh, playing soccer and kind of moved on to you know a more uh, intense team called Fuster FC with a bunch of guys I went to Curly with actually and the coach the coach of Curly uh Barry Stitz I'm sure you know him um so I was on that team for for a while, we were very good on the top in the country all the way up until about 2016. Um, so, yeah, soccer soccer just ended up being my main sport. Um, really developed a lot in soccer. Um, but, yeah, I just had, had my family supporting me. So always playing sports. I mean, I still still love all, the, all, the, all sports, you know, love basketball, mm-hmm. love football, love hockey. But I think just playing soccer was, was my main, my go-to. Yep. Josh, what about you? Um, you know, same thing. You know, I've just played sports since I was real little, since I can even remember. Um, I played everything too. I mean, even soccer. <laughs> I switched over uh, from soccer to football. I think in first or second grade, 
And then uh, ever since then, I just played uh, basketball, football, and lacrosse. Um, and then I kept doing that into high school. You know, I was a three-sport athlete. Um, yeah, and just, just I, I love every sport. It's going to be tough not being able to play the other two in college, but um, yep. I'm grateful to get to play football in four more years. So. Yep. Uh, Brandon, back to you. Yep. Who or what? influenced you to become like a big time athlete like who who was the person what influenced you to basically say you know what i'm a i'm a damn good soccer player i got an opportunity to play division one ball who who or what was that thing or that person that gave you the drive to become a big time college athlete yeah um i wouldn't really say it would be one person specifically not one player that I looked up to. I mean, I, st- I still look up to a lot of players, but not specifically one person. Um, definitely my family, coaches, and teammates really, you know, push me every day. Um, I think Josh is a big part of it, too. I mean, we used to battle like crazy outside playing when we were little, playing football, basketball, all the sports. You know, there was always a competitive nature between us, and we kind of always talked about, you know, playing sports when we were older. You know, we both grew up. We are really good good athletes so we always kind of always knew we were would probably play a sport in college um but just growing up like that like I said with him and then my family my dad it's a big big uh part of it too my mom also played uh division one uh lacrosse so that was that was something too but you know then just my coaches and teammates really we were, I was playing on one of the top teams in the nation so I mean most of the guys on my teams went to play soccer somewhere in college so that's about it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Josh, what about you? Um, you know, pretty much the same type of thing. Um, I don't know if really like one specific person, just a lot of things. Uh, big thing was obviously having a brother that was close to my age. Obviously, we got to play every day. We were always outside um, competing with each other. Um, but, uh, you know, just I think the big thing was my junior year, uh, I, I wasn't really like I, I was planning on playing lacrosse in college um, for a while, honestly, until junior year. And then after that football season, um, the coaches pretty much told me I, I have a really good opportunity to play at a high level football school. Um, so, you know, I worked really hard. Um, that was a goal of mine. Then you know, I always had the goal, of the dream of wanting to play in the NFL, you know, like a lot of kids do. And I, I really wanted to always play at a high level in whatever sport I was going to play in college. But um, I, uh, decided to really work hard and, uh, take the next step. And then I was able to get recruited by a lot of division one schools, just talking to a lot of schools and then VMI offered and I went on the visit and committed. So yep. now when both of you, so Brandon, back to you, um, who do you who do you play for? Like when you when you late when you lace up the cleats, shin guards in your socks, you know you're re- you're ready to go. Got your music you got your music bumping before pregame. You're about to go out onto the field. Who was that one person that you tried to make proud, or who 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 do you play for when you go out when you go out on the soccer field? Oh uh, yeah, game? I think I play for a lot of different people. Um, definitely all the guys who have came before me kind of laid the groundwork of the sport, especially at the school I'm at, like all the alumni, St. John's soccer players. Um, then my family, definitely, you know, they're always supporting me at most of my games, definitely play for them. Um, and then God as well, 
you know, we're big in big in our faith. So I would I would say God as well. Already? Yep, Josh. What about you? Um, you know, uh, I think I you know play for a lot of people too. You know, my family, uh, teammates especially. You know, because we're always working hard together every day at practice. You know, I want to do what I can, do my part in the in the game to to help win. You know, um, put all the pieces together. So. Yep. Now this now this is a this is a well, not so much of a complex question, but it has many layers to it because both of you two because you two played a lot of sports uh, growing up and leading up to like the big ones. Now, Josh, football for you, Brandon, soccer for you. Uh, do uh, do Josh you first to switch it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Who uh, what coach did you love playing for for every sport that you played? Um. So, uh, for football, I'd say, well, growing up playing rec, I'd say my dad, because he, he coached me. Um, he was, we were fortunate enough to, uh, he was fortunate enough to coach my team uh, in rec for, I don't even know, it's since I was in third grade, I think, until eighth grade. So, um, I love playing for him, you know, just me and him being able to share that bond with each other and just be at practice every day. And then, that feeling of winning games and being able to hug him after the game is awesome. Um, and then uh, once yep. I get in, got into high school, I'd say for football, it was Coach Ireton. You know, he had so yep. much confidence in me um, when he came in, and he was able to help me really get those looks I wanted to to play Division One football. Um, yep. uh, basketball, I'd say um, probably Coach Darnell Hopkins. Uh, mm-hmm. Coach, the head coach at Curly for the past two years. You know, I just love playing for him. He's he really did a great job with us. You know, making us into not even not better basketball players, also, but you know, better better man in general. Um, he really held us accountable, um, and he works really hard to to help um, give us the best opportunities. You know, we were able to win the championship this year. So, um, and then lacrosse, I'd say Coach Ogle the curly head coach, um, mm-hmm. you know, he just helped me out to become a better lacrosse player and a better person the past four years. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. Brandon, what about you? Uh, I, I definitely have one coach that I would say would be a coach Barry Stitz. Like I mentioned earlier, I've had him as a coach since I was eight years old, all the way up, even this past summer playing with him. So I guess it's about – what maybe 12 years 11 12 years so yeah he's definitely just been a great role model for me great leader for our teams uh really taught me how to really develop me as a soccer player also as a man like josh said um you know i spent so much time with him whether it's car rides to practice at practice you know away on trips and hotels um games practices at the fields whatever but it really has just helped me out Becoming a great soccer player, and I owe a lot of credit. I have to give him a lot of credit in my success, um, in my soccer career. So, yep. So, Brandon, you are a Curly alum. What year did you graduate? I graduated in 2018. Gotcha. So, you're a Curly alum like me and Josh are soon to be. Yeah. Um, tell the audience, uh, describe your four years at Curly and how much did you enjoy uh, your time being a Curly student? Yeah, Curly was awesome, man. I just remember, you know, almost being excited to go to school every day. You know, having my friends there, just the atmosphere is awesome. You know, I still have some of my best friends from Curly, still talk to them today, almost every day. 
still in, still in touch, so it's awesome. Um, but just really, you know, they say it a lot, but it really is true about the brotherhood of Curly. You know, yeah. so so many guys that, that that you just become so close to throughout the four years that are still your best friends today. You know, it's, it's just a great time. So many great teachers and, opportun- and staff members and opportunities that they give you to just become a better man. And, you know, progressing to college, it's really helped me a lot. But I had a great time at Curly, and I, I wish I was back there again. It's, I know it sucks <laughs> for you guys missing out the senior year. Yeah, that, that's yeah. a big fun fun part, but, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, Josh, what about you? The four years um, technically aren't over yet, but uh... – Yeah, pretty much. I mean, my four years in the school, but uh, – you know, it was a great four years. Um, I had my brother there for two years of it. Um, you know, just being able to make so many great friends, um, build so many relationships with with all the other students and teachers and coaches. Um, I'm really going to miss it. Um, I'm going to miss just being able to play for the school, play for Curly and all the alumni, alumni too. And just um, it was it was a great four years. I'm really going to miss it. So. Yep. Um, Josh, just to do uh, you with this question. This is a question solely for Josh to get back to Brandon in a minute. Um, so why did you want to choose you? I tell you, you are a phenomenal and I'm not just kissing. I'm not just kiss. I'm not just kissing your hot pots with this. I'm being honest. This guy's honest truth. One of the best football players I've ever seen. This guy, ball hawking safety. And knew how to hit, hard hit, hard hitting white boy that played safety. That every single time you blinked, he had another interception. I, I swear, I swear to God. And then, and was and was one hell of a basketball player too on that championship curly team back in the winter. But oh, I say all that to lead to this: Why did you choose college football? Any or, excuse me? Why did you choose college football over lacrosse or basketball? Why? Why foot? Why? pursue college football over the other sports that you were good at um you know I always it was always between like I was always growing up and every sport that was in season was my favorite one I never really had that one sport that was my favorite one it was whatever when I was playing at the time and that kind of carried on into into high school but I kind of really had that uh, thought that I was going to be playing college lacrosse for a while and then it switched over um, I, you know, I realized I had so many opportunities, uh, to play football and just the type of schools that are recruiting me were great schools. Um, I mean, I, I had chances to play college across too. I had a couple offers for some, uh, some D3 schools and I was really thinking about it. It wasn't until after my senior season that I really, uh, knew like a hundred percent I was going to be playing college football. Um, but, uh, it wasn't really something like one specific thing. I think it's just the, the opportunity that football was, was giving me. Um, and, you know, I, I love the game. Um, I feel like I, I couldn't go four more years without playing it. So, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Um, Brandon, back to you. Yep. Uh, how much did you – so you were four years at Curly. I I read up on your uh, on your accomplishments last night. Um, you were a second team All State and second team All Metro selection for soccer, and a first team MIAA All Conference honoree. And you played two years of varsity basketball and was the captain of uh, of the team your senior year. 
Yes. Talk about your uh, athletic, basically talk about your athletic career when you uh, played uh, for the Friars. Yeah, play, playing for the Friars was great. Um, obviously, going in, I was, I'd was i say a big reason I went to Curly was because of soccer um, and Coach Barry and, and a lot of other guys on my team going to Curly. But started out, played my first year of JV soccer and then played three years of varsity. Um, I started each year on varsity, and it was just it was great playing for Curly. Um, played with a lot of different guys, a lot of great teammates, a lot of great players. You know, we were, we were always one of the top teams in the MIAA. It was always always competitive. Um, playing in one of the best best leagues in the country um, against against some great teams. Um, so soccer was always great. You know, I love love going to practice every day after school. Um, and then basketball as well. Played basketball for four years, two years of JV, two years of varsity. Um, it was great. Great playing basketball at Curly as well. I loved playing for Coach Phil Hahn, who's not here anymore, not at Curly anymore, and, and Coach Darnell. He was there too. He was my coach as well. And, you know, they were great guys. Met a lot of guys playing basketball. Um, you know, I wish I, I could still play basketball today. I really miss it a lot. And then I always wished I, – I, I wish I would have played another sport uh, during the spring season, but I really just never had the chance to because of – my spring soccer club schedule, and you know that was that was I was always busy with that, but I kind I kind of wish I was able to play maybe lacrosse or something like that, maybe golf. But I overall it was it was great playing for Curly. Yeah. So you go in from playing in Baltimore with uh, with Curly, which is you know that blue collar. You know, Baltimore is nothing compared to playing in New York. And you make the jump from playing for Curly to St. John's D1 for their soccer program. How, yeah. did you adju- how did you adjust from getting used to playing for Coach Stitz all those – Coach Stitz, excuse me, all those years at Curly? How did you make the adjustment from playing, getting used to him, being used to him all those years? How did you adjust from that – to states to St. John's style of play and basically the overall culture of, uh, of their soccer program. Yeah, it was, it was definitely tough. You know, it was a big change, big adjustment. Um, just, just, uh, going to the division one level, um, is a big adjustment to start. Um, I didn't really know what to expect going in. It was a big change. Um, I, I kind of ex- expected the worst, but came in right away. got the opportunity to play. Um, I think the biggest thing is just working hard being fit for soccer, um, you'll, you'll get your chance. But, yeah, the culture's, the culture's a lot different uh, in Division One. I. I mean, just the, the teammates, you know, they're, they're your best friends. You're with them every day. You know, you're, you're practicing, working out, running, going to class, living together, and you're all, all on your own. So these, these are your brothers and, and who you live with, and um, it's awesome. And then it's just a different coach. Obviously, it was tough at first. I played, played for Coach Stitz for – so long and then coming to a different coach, it was really different, but I just had to adjust to how they want to play and how, how he coaches. Um, yeah, just trying to do my best there. Yep. Now describe to the audience for those uh, members of my audience that want to become division one athletes or already are division one athletes or have been division one athletes in their past. Describe to the audience what it's like playing a division one sport, especially in a major U.S. market like in like playing in New York City. Yeah, it's it's very competitive. It's very intense. Um, you know that you talk about a lot of Division One. You know it's 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 really high level, but it is, it is really such a high level. 
especially playing in the Big East Conference, um, like I am with St. John's, every game in there is a battle. You know, every team wants to beat each other. So competitive and so intense. You really have, you know, there's so many guys that have maybe the same talent as you or a little better, but it's just who want, who's going to want it more, who's going to want that edge, you know, to work, work harder and, and, and want it. So I'd say the biggest thing is just hard work and your work ethic to, to get better and try and beat the, beat the other person out. Even, even on your own team, it's so competitive. So many different guys that can play um, all over the field and can play your position, but you just got to gotta compete for it. Gotcha. Now, heading in, so you're heading into your junior season, I'm yes. imagining, at St. John's. So yes. heading into your junior season, um, how do you individually and as, a, and as a soccer team plan to improve from what you did in 2019, making the playoffs, heading into 2020? Yeah, going to 2020, I mean, we had a great year in 2019. Um, we improved a lot from my freshman season. We made it to the Sweet 16 in the NCAA tournament. So that was, that was really big for us. It was, it was great. It was a fun, fun environment, fun atmosphere, you know, going down the stretch with the team. But I think we, we can still be a lot better than we, can, uh, than we were last year. We have a lot of the team returning and a lot of chemistry. So I think we, sh- we still should be pretty good. I'm um, just really excited to get back out there with the guys. You know, we missed a lot of the spring season here. But uh, yep. just ready to get back to preseason, hopefully. And um, ready to get to work. It's going to be a good season. We got a lot, a lot of guys returning, like I said, a lot of depth. So a lot of different guys who can play, play on the field. Um, that's going to be tough and very competitive. But I think we'll still be strong again. Hopefully we can make another run in the NCAA tournament. Yep, that's good. Um, you're doing good, Brandon. It's a good job here. Um, so do you have any future goals in soccer? You plan on being a playing professional for the MLS, um, you know, being a member of the US national team. Do you have any yeah, have any do you, excuse me, do you have any plans for soccer past uh, St. John's? Uh, yeah, I would hope to, you know, continue to have a great two year, two more seasons here at St. John's and possibly get drafted uh, to the MLS. That would be my, that's, that's honestly my goal. Um, you know, it's always been a dream of mine since I was little, but now, you know, I'm actually living it. I'm actually, you know, possibly going to get the opportunity to do that. I'm going to have to have a great two years coming up. going to have to work really hard, continue to work hard. But yeah, that's honestly my goal. I mean, regards to the national team, I mean, that would be, that would be amazing to get the, wear a USA across your chest and play for the national team. So, but yeah, I'd say my goal is, is to hopefully continue to play professionally uh, with soccer. Josh, you there, bud? Yep. <laughs> Back to you. I uh, got a, quite a few questions for you, my friend. Um, so you were on Curly's basketball championship team back in, uh, back in February, first championship in our school history since, uh, 2001, your senior year, you had to basically, you had, you basically the Detroit Pistons were to the Bulls, what the Gerstel Falcons, my old, my, uh, old buddies up at that, up at, uh, up at uh, Carroll County, Gerstel was to you guys what the Pistons were to the Bulls. Yeah. Gerstel wins the back-to-back championships, moves up to the A Conference. You all are the big bad boys. You all are the big bad boys of the B Conference, and you went and you win a championship. Describe the experience of that and of playing that entire season, and what was it like winning Curly's first cha- basketball championship 
in 18, 19 years? Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was an incredible season. Uh, it was the best season I could have imagined. Um, you know, we had a really tough schedule. We played, uh, some of the top teams, some A conference schools. We played St. Francis. Uh, I'm sure, you know, a lot of people know about them. Um, you know, overall through the year, we always focused on the little things. Um, you know, defense was a huge thing. Every day in practice, we worked on defense, um, help defense and just uh, playing defense overall as a team together. Um, and I think that really helped us with, with scoring, you know, um, fast breaks and, uh, you know, turning the possessions. You know, we, we, we play tough defense, not all about um, the offense. You know, that, that comes with when you're playing yep. tough defense. And, uh, and you know, we just – we had a couple mishaps during the season. You know, we lost to, uh, to, to friends the second time we played them at their place. I think that was just that was after like a twelve game winning streak or something. So that was kind of just a a kick back to reality. Um we just put our heads down, we worked hard every day, um and got back at it and we ended up losing to Saint John's who who we beat in the championship. We lost to him the second time we played him up at their place. Um so, you know, that was just something they, they treated that game like it was their championship, the way they celebrated. Um we yeah. just walked into the locker room. Went to practice the next day and just knew what we had to do to get ready for playoffs coming. Um, we worked real hard every day in practice. In the week, every weekend we were practicing. Um, and the playoffs came. Um, we played – I can't remember who we played. Seven, maybe? Semi-finals. No, it wasn't seven. <laughs> I'm drawing a blank here. But, uh, <laughs> You're oh, good. Chapelgate. 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 Chapelgate, yeah, Chapelgate. Good job. Yeah, we got the first round, first round by, and then we played Chapel Gate in the semifinals. Um, beat them pretty good, and then went on to play at Hartford Community College, which is which is a pretty cool atmosphere, playing in front of a lot of people in the small arena in there. Um, just having that huge student section um, behind behind the the basket, it was awesome to see that because usually the basketball games we don't really get big student sections. Um, yep. But that was awesome just to see the brotherhood come together and really cheer us on. You know, there were so many curly people in the stands. And I think that was just kind of like a an eye-opening thing for the other team. They weren't prepared for that. They were they were getting flustered in moments. Um, and then, you know, the whole game was just awesome. We played well. Um, we played really tough. A lot of a lot of deflections on defense and, you know, hit, hit a bunch of big shots. Um, I hit a couple threes. They were they were really big. Um, you know, Caleb as always, he was he was scoring a bunch of points. Yep. Um, All time leading scorer in school history. Yep. Yep. And Dalen with two big dunks that were back to back. That really kinda brought brought the energy of the place up. And then um kinda got kinda got tight towards the end of the game. We were a little nervous, but um we knew if we just stuck to what we were used to, we'd uh we'd end up getting the win and we did. Uh, it was just a great feeling, you know. The, all the students rushed the court. Um, we were in the middle of it, holding the plaque. It was just—it was an incredible feeling. Um, couldn't have pictured it any better. <laughs> yep. Um, so describe. I had a. I had our buddy Coach Iverson on last week. He went into yeah. a little bit in depth on our 2019 football uh, season. Give me, uh, give the audience, and if you want to go in depth and tell a story, go ahead. You got full consent to do so. 
But uh, how how was it playing on uh on the foot on our uh, curly football team uh, this past fall? Yeah, I mean it was it was a great year. Um, we had a lot of great kids playing together. Um, made, got to build a lot of great bonds with with the team. Um, you know, we we struggled the the couple of years before that. Uh, we went. We had I had. Uh, different coaches every year I played except the last two years we had Ireton and staff both years but you know we were two and eight my sophomore year uh two and eight again my junior year mm-hmm. but we really had a goal to you know switch that around and we worked so hard throughout that summer going into senior year yep. um we wanted to change things around we had a goal to win a championship um that didn't happen but you know we still had a great year mm-hmm. didn't end the way we wanted but um you know, we we were able to turn it around and go seven and four, losing, making the playoffs, losing in the semifinals mm-hmm. to Pilates, who ended up winning it all. But um, it was it was an awesome year, um, for to end my senior year like that. Just all that hard work really really paid off. Um, I mean, obviously, I wish we would have won the championship, but you know, making the playoffs, setting setting like the groundwork for the the next couple years for this team. Uh, I think this 2020 class will be remembered with Curly football. So. Yep, you got a uh, you got a good story for us. I asked I asked uh, Coach Ireton last week to give us a good story, and uh, as usual, he uh, failed. But uh, you got you got any <laughs> <laughs> you got any uh, good stories for us from uh, this past uh, football season, Josh? Man, ah, it's a tough one. Put me on the spot with that. Um, I don't really know. I mean, a lot of funny things happen, you know, every single, every single day we're all joking around laughing. Um, but man, I can't really think of a specific story right now. Um, <laughs> I think one thing, one, one thing I remember, I don't know if it was this year or last year, one of the coaches, we were walking down the, down the hill from the grass field down to the turf. They slipped and like kind of rolled down the, a little bit that was funny and the coaches always joke about that every year <laughs> yeah. um yeah i can't really think of anything else right now you're good um <laughs> so for curly you were wide receiver uh safety and you are a kicker and punter so you played four positions and you're going to vmi just playing safety i'm assuming correct Yes. Yeah, just yes. playing solely safety. How do you plan to adjust from playing four positions in high school ball to going to VMI playing playing one sole position in uh, safety? Um, you know, it's I don't think it's going to be a tough adjustment going from playing a lot of positions in high school to just one position in college. I think the biggest adjustment from going to playing safety in high school to college is going to be just the speed of the game, mm-hmm. um, the physicality, um, you know, those two things are going to be huge just because, you know, it's, it's a totally different level than high school football. Um, people might not really notice it unless you're actually down there watching close, but it's, it's a different speed. Um, everyone's much bigger. And I think I just got to um, keep working in the weight room, you know, get myself stronger, work on the field and get myself faster. Um, just uh, keep keep watching film, um, learning every every day. Um, just get my IQ up and just just be ready for the season. So, what what will you miss most about playing for and going to Curly? Um, I think 
I'm going to miss the other sports I play, you know, basketball and lacrosse. I'm really going to miss them. Um, but I'm also going to miss, you know, just the the guys that I've I built uh, bonds with over the last four years, just being able to play with them, practice every day. I'm just um, – I'm going to miss that a lot. I'm going to miss uh, walking through the halls of Curly just in general every day, even though, I mean, during the four years, it doesn't – every day I didn't really feel like going to school sometimes. But, you know, when you I look back on it right now, especially since I haven't been able to go to school for a while, you know, I, I really miss it already. Um, just, just being able to see the teachers every day and talk with them and, you know, see my coaches pretty much every day, and I'm really going to miss it. Yeah. This is uh, one last question for both of you all. Both of y'all done an excellent job, and I thank you for it. Um, how do you guys, Brandon and Josh, how do you all feed off of each other as brothers? And in other words, how do you two make each other better athletes, better people? How do you all use each other's strengths and we- strengths and weaknesses to make each other better? Um, Josh, you go ahead. I- yeah, I guess I'll start. Yeah, Josh, you go ahead. Um, you know, ever since ever since we were little, just that competitive nature between us with literally everything. Um, didn't even have to be with sports. We were just always competitive. But uh, when sports came around, just I think that competitive nature with always trying to one-up on the next one. And uh, it, was just, it would just makes us better overall. Um, even now, you know, like we're working out together. Um, we're each trying to make each other, you know, get our weight up. Um, be better in the weight room too so yeah brandon what about you yeah, definitely going off of that like i said i mentioned on it earlier just the competitive nature i think every day we played basketball football we get guys in the neighborhood play every day in our backyard someone else's backyard we'd even play in the basketball season we do one-on-ones in our front uh in our street in the front front of the house here um we'd always always go hard playing that um that really pushed us better ath- athletically but I think over the year and over the years we've really gotten closer, um, grown to become really best friends. You know that's 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 kind of the aspect of you know making each other a better person as well. You know I, I think my grandmother always touches on it how we we always used to fight, always used to play together. But you know they never thought that we would actually become as close as we are today. But that really just helped us and pushed us to be better people, better athletes. Um, now we're now we're best friends today. He'll, he'll always be my best friend. So. That's that's what I'd say on that. Brother, having a brother is one of the most important relationships a guy can have. Let me tell you. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you you two did an excellent job. Uh, you know, don't don't be a stranger. So, Josh, I know you're busy with VMI, and if you make it pro, if you get drafted NFL first round pick, I got I got <laughs> dibs on you first, pal. All right, <laughs> and. And yeah. and Brandon, if you end if I end up seeing you playing for the U.S. national team, you're always welcome. Did an excellent job. <laughs> thanks, man. All right, thanks to you both. Y'all stay safe. Be back with the Amatelka TIS podcast right after this.
Welcome back to Metallic TIS podcast. Shout out to uh, Brandon and uh, Josh and App. They did an excellent job. Um, thanks once again for joining me. Um, and that was like a last second ordeal. I'm sitting there um, last weekend after Coach Ironson was on. And I'm sitting there. I was like, well, who am I going to get on for the podcast next? And I texted, you know, I hit up my football group chat and I said, who wants to be on next? And Josh was the first one to respond. I was like, all right, cool. And then he texted me. Uh, yesterday morning, it's like, can my brother be on? I was like, sure. Um, you know, let me try something different. D1 athlete and uh, first effort time having uh, interviewing two people on at the same time. So uh, it, was, it was a unique experience, but I appreciate them both for being on. And I uh, both wish them, uh, and I wish them both the best in their uh, future athletic endeavors at their uh, respective uh, colleges. So, uh, just a little quick wrap-up. Wednesday, the 29th of April, was the five-year anniversary of the, um, of the, uh, the, uh, Orioles-White Sox no-crowd game that was played in two, in 2015 because of the, uh, the Baltimore riots and the unrest in the city because of Freddie Granite and this, that, and the other. And it's so ironic looking back five years later. It's like who would have thought? A who would have thought that Buck Showalter would no longer be the manager of the team? Who would think that Adam Jones would still be playing baseball halfway around the world? Manny Machado wouldn't be on the team. And like, is there's no one left of that of that of that of the uh, the quote unquote glory days of those mid 2010s Orioles? Everyone, you know, no one's only person that's left is Chris Davis. <laughs> Chris Chris Davis and the ownership. That's about it. But um, it's crazy looking back on it how if Major League Baseball indeed does have a season, how it's basically going to be just like that Orioles and White Sox game played in front of, in front of, in front of, you know, in an empty stadium. And it's just so weird and crazy and, and ironic that, you know, that that was the situation in Baltimore five years ago. And then in a short, quick, and I mean short and quick, five years later, this, it could be a reality, not just with baseball, but certainly with with uh, sports across the American landscape that are looking to resume NBA, NHL, NFL might at least begin their season with no fans. There, there'll be fans at the Super Bowl. That then I think you know by February 2021, things will be back to quote unquote normal, and we'll have fans in the stadium. In my honest opinion. But I, I think that we'll at least have the first month or two of the NFL season with no fans. And baseball, if they ever decide to have a season, they won't have any fans either. And the NBA and the NHL will wrap up their 2019-2020 season whenever that may be with no fans. And it's just so ironic that, you know, that was like the, that was like the quote-unquote normal for a day. And then five years later, it could be like a normal that we have to live with for uh for um months to come um so getting back to the last dance um episodes uh five and six are uh sunday uh may the third um then we'll talk a lot about jordan's you know rise to being a a uh a pop culture icon in the 90s you know with the endorsement deals with uh my with mcdonald's and gatorade and 
and the uh, and how popular and how big his uh, shoe and the, basically the Jordan brand end up becoming. And of course, we'll touch on the '92 Dream Team and then go back and rehash the '91 Walk Off with with Isaiah, which is you know which has often been discussed as one of the reasons why he never. Um, never made uh the uh the 92 uh dream team um and it was funny because i because the 92 dream team that that uh the coach for the 92 dream team was chuck daly which was isaiah thomas's coach so you know he was cool so of course so he was cool with rodman and he was cool with with uh with daly it was isaiah thomas that he couldn't uh stand but um but anyway, it should be uh, an interesting, uh, an interesting two hours on the worldwide leader in sports, with uh, with the last dance, uh, with the last dance documentary. So with that, and I also got to figure out and see who I'm gonna get on uh, next week. I'm gonna be hit up on my football teammates, you know, my brother. Well, I'll, I'll see if I can find something out. You know, if. You know, we we could end up back with uh, Mike in Orange County, but uh, I'll see if I can find uh, somebody else uh, to uh, to entertain you guys with as we enter what well, week seven, week eight of uh, no sports as we head into, or at least we've already begun the month of May and my favorite month of the year in year two thousand and twenty. So, I want to thank the Nat Brothers for joining me. I want to thank you for listening. Um, be sure to follow me on Twitter at the J Shield. Follow the show on Twitter at Amatel underscore it, T-I-S. Listen, subscribe to the podcast. Share it with your friends, family, and acquaintances. I'm your boy, Jai Shields. Talk to you next week. Stay safe, and y'all take care.